gosh, there's so many things I forget. And then I remember what I'm sitting down there that I wanted to say to you. So when you walk in the Spirit of God, don't be surprised if God does something surprising. Now that not, may not sound profound, but really when it starts to sink in, it does. It really is profound. By the way, the really cool thing is we added another 100 chairs in this room today. So if you look around and think it looks a little empty, it's because there's another 100 chairs in this room. All right? If you feel like you're closer, you are. All right? But we were, I was really praying about this prophecy conference that we're going to do. It's actually the date. It looks like it's going to be September 29th. It's going to be at the Crystal Cathedral. And uh, three of the people that I really was praying, were praying would really be a part of this. One I had not even asked, and I was at, down at the Spectrum Mall watching a movie, walked out, all of a sudden I hear a voice calling out to me and the guy I was with and my wife and, and his wife. I turned around, and it was the guy that I was going to ask. And I mentioned to him, and he said, yeah, I'd love to do that. Let me just double-check my schedule. And then uh, I, I'll just say this, and I, I don't want to give any names out yet, but three really are the biggest names you could imagine. One of the biggest media people um, right now in the news um, I will tell you an ambassador, the Israeli ambassador, uh, is another one, and then I won't tell you the third one yet. Um, but I just thought, you know, isn't that interesting how God did that? God just brought that together. And, and I, I think sometimes we work so hard to plan and figure it out, but here's a truth that I've come to realize. Are you ready for it? You can be in the middle of a miracle. You know how the rest of it goes? And not know it. You really can. I've found that in the middle of a miracle, it never feels like a miracle. It feels like you're battling. It feels like you're confused. You're perplexed. I mean, study the miracles that were going on in the New Testament, in the Old Testament. Find one where everybody figured out, oh, yeah, this is a miracle. This is what all this means. Think about Gideon. God says, reduce your force down to 300. He's thinking to himself, are you kidding me? It's already going to be tough enough. Lazarus is dead. Jesus announces your brother will live. I mean, the middle of a miracle never feels like a miracle. What you do is you just confess with your mouth the belief that you have. God is doing something, enriching that situation. Because it's his word and your faith combined. Here's the second thing about a journey. The journey will test you emotionally. The first thing to go and the last thing to return sometimes are your emotions. Because you feel stressed. You feel like you're going, well, what do I do? What do I do? You trust in the Lord. Be still and know that I am God. And then also, the journey will shape you relationally. You know, when you're on a journey with someone, it has a tendency to shape you and the people around you in a way it brings you together in a very, very special way. We were in a meeting on Tuesday morning with 14 people, and we were talking about the whole planning and, and the steps forward in securing a building. But the most exciting thing for me was not the meeting. It was when the meeting ended and those 14 people gathered for about another 15 or 20 minutes in little groups of three and four and began to talk to one another. And I just stepped back and I watched. I watched because the church was bonding itself together in fellowship. 
Don't miss out on those kind of things. I mean, those are really, really powerful. Well, we're on this journey in the book of Exodus, and Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13 is a really simple verse that I hope doesn't apply to anyone in this room. And it says this, you shall not murder. That's pretty simple, right? I mean, I'm not going to murder anybody, am I? Are you? Any murderers among us? Anyone want to confess to that? And if you study history of man, most people are not murderers, right? Until you encounter Jesus. And then you realize how many of us are guilty of murder. I want you to raise your hand if you're guilty of murder. Raise your hand. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Listen to what Jesus said, and this he said in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said of old. Ah, he's taking you back to the Ten Commandments. You have heard that it was said of old. You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say unto you. Now, one of the reasons that Jesus said you have heard it said of old was that they had lost the ability, the common man, to read Hebrew. They weren't reading scripture at all. They were listening to someone. You have heard it said that you shall not commit murder, but here's what I'm going to say to you. Whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Anybody here? Now, let's try it again. Anybody here ever been angry with your brother without cause? Would you raise your hand? A few more of us are guilty now. And some of you are going, no, every time I was angry, it was for a cause. You know, one of the things we have to understand about anger is that anger is okay. You know, God gets angry. In fact, the Bible even says, be angry, but sin not. There are some things that ought to make you mad. And sometimes what's happened, uh, we, we, get, we fall into this situation where we become so emasculated in our faith that we somehow adopt this passivity that never reacts to anything. There are some things that are wrong in our world. There are some things that are wrong in your life. There are some things wrong in your family. And it, it causes us to say, wait a minute, stop. That makes me angry. He says here, without cause. There needs to be a reason. There needs to be a biblical reason. There needs to be a moral reason. There needs to be something that's wrong. For example, is it wrong for children to be taken advantage of by an adult? Yes, and that should make us angry. Is it wrong that in despotic rulers around the world take advantage of people and kill them without cause? Yes, and that should make us angry. There are some things that are just there. But notice he goes on to say this. He says, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, or fool, shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. He says, you know, actually the word Raka there is where we get our word moron. It's moros, and it's where the idea is that you're a moron. And you might say that to your friend and get away with it, because you really don't mean it. But he says, when you take a part of person's dignity, God doesn't look on that brightly. And then when he says, when you take someone and say, you fool, 
What he's doing, he's, he's really saying, you're saying, I don't really understand this God and the dignity that God brings to mankind. When I began to study this passage and I began to study the subject, I realized there were a million questions that came up. For example, some of your Bibles might translate that, you shall not kill. And if that's true, then people have this, uh, this tendency in the world to go, well, God told Israelites to go out and we commit war, we have acts of war, and what about all these questions I have? So I'm going to try to talk about a few of those. The commandment, is it to kill, not kill, or not murder? It's to not murder. And there is a difference, and there's a different word in the Hebrew for that. Is there a difference? Absolutely. In murder, I have an intent to do harm without cause. Killing falls into a whole different category, and I'm going to talk about that. Let's talk about what is war and what is just war. We all have experienced war somehow in our lifetime, either through the history books personally or we've watched it on TV. Is there such a thing as a just war? According to the Bible, there is. In fact, this idea of just war usually comes back to this. Do we have the right intention? That's a part of this doctrine of just war. Is our intense right in this whole process, or are we creating a war because we want something else, but it just is a way for us to get what we want? The other thing about a just war is we ask, is this the last resort? Have we, have we done everything we can do to prevent war from happening in our world? And then also we ask, is it proportional? In other words, if we go up against five people with a bomb, is that proportional? Is that fair? And somehow in our heart, we know that there's a fairness factor, there's a just factor that's involved in this idea of war. William Manning, the Bishop of New York, of the Episcopalian Church, back in the, in the 1930s said this about that coming war that was coming in Europe. He said, our Lord Jesus Christ does not stand for peace at any price. Every true American would rather see this land face war than see her flag lowered in dishonor. I wish to say that not only from the standpoint of a citizen, but from the standpoint of a minister of religion, if by pacifism is meant the teaching that the use of force is never justifiable, then however well meant, it is mistaken and is hurtful to the life of our country. And the pacifism which takes the position that because war is evil, therefore all who engage in war, whether on offense or defense, are equally blameworthy and, not, and to be condemned is not only unreasonable, it is inexcusable and unjust. You see, one of the things that I have to deal with when I talk to skeptics is to say, how can you say God is good when God sends people to war? There are some issues that just demand a reaction from us. There are some values, if our freedom is not indeed kept intact, then we are not free to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not free to do good. If evil men are free to do evil in our world, how do we respond to that? How do we function in a society like that? There's another dimension of this that comes in this killing and murder, and that's abortion. And the reason that we say abortion's wrong is because life is sacred, and life begins by the hand of God in the womb. And we say that's special, and that's different. And then what about the death sentence? That's really controversial. It may be the most controversial of everything here. And the reason it is because we've all seen that situation where a man is, or a woman is found to be guilty of murder. 
sentenced to death, and at the last minute, some DNA evidence comes along and proves that person innocent. And I think what you have to do on the death sentence, you have to come to your own conclusions based on Scripture. And if people want an answer, what do you think? I don't know. It's a tough one. It really is tough because better, better for someone to go free than an innocent person to suffer death. That really is the argument of morality, is it not? And I think there are all kinds of paradoxes and challenging situations we'll find in Scripture that we have to wrestle our way through every day. Edward Cal Sharp is a screenwriter, and he wrote these words. Right now, a diabolical plot is hatching. Somewhere is weaving a tangled web of deception. Devious minds are working overtime. Who will be the first to scream murder? When I read that, I thought, that's how my mind works sometimes. How about yours? I think about things, and I think, well, God, if you would just do that, God would say, well, is that right and is that just? And why do you want that? I want you right now to think of someone who makes you mad. Got him? Usually it doesn't take us too long, right? You go, I got that one easy. That was the easy test. Okay, now let's process, let's keep that person in our mind through this message, and let's process that as best we can biblically. Now I want to ask, why do they make you mad? One reason might be financial gain. They make you mad because somehow they took something away from you financially. They robbed you of an opportunity. They stole from you, and what it does is it makes you mad, and you process that from anger, maybe even into bitterness or hate. Sometimes we become angry because it removes an obstacle, the obstacle in our own life we're trying to deal with. And if we put them there, then they become the point of attention, and we don't have to deal with our own issues anymore. Sometimes we become angry to protect ourselves, and we call them boundaries or barriers. Sometimes the only way you can prevent someone from running over you is to put up a barrier of anger. And that seems to make the most sense. Because we get hurt, all of us, all the time by different situations. How do we protect ourselves in a healthy manner from hurt? And anger sometimes becomes that source. How about revenge? Anybody ever wanted to get even? I mean, really get even. And maybe you didn't want to do it. You just wanted somebody else to do it. You wanted a hired gun to go out and get even for you. Have you ever thought about how many times Jesus says something like, you know what, leave revenge to God. He's really good at it. Yeah, I know he is, God, but I know you're good at that whole thing and settling the score, but I'd like to see it done now. And the impatience we have. Sometimes uh, it's out of revenge. Sometimes it's out of love. Sometimes we, we say it's tough love, and I'm going to say this because, and I'm going to put my foot down, and I'm going to be angry about it because you need to get right with God. That might be a justifiable anger. You see, not all these angers are bad. Sometimes we say murder is the lesser of two evils, right? In terms of hate is the lesser of two evils. 
I want to just take you through some scriptures now, and I'd, I'd just ask you to jot the references down, and you can look them up if you want, but I'm going to run through a number of them, but I want to set a stage for you before we dive into this message a little deeper. Here's what it says in James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. How about this one, Psalm 37, 8? Cease from anger, forsake wrath, do not fret, it only causes harm. Who are you harming? You? How about Colossians 3.8? But now you yourselves are to put off all of these things. So it's like a garment. You take it off. Put off anger. Put off wrath. Put off malice. Put off blasphemy. Put off filthy language out of your mouth. Get rid of those things. How about Proverbs 16.32? He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Do you know when you're angry, you can't be filled with the Holy Spirit? Think about that. You can't say, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, and be angry without cause. How about Proverbs 19.11? The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger. So part of what helps me in this anger is my discretion. And his glory is to overlook a transgression. 1 John 3.15 Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Wow, that's a strong word to hate somebody, isn't it? And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Wow, that's drilling pretty deep into our spirit, isn't it? You know, if I asked some of you to raise your hand or all of you to raise your hand, if you'd ever hated someone, there probably would be a good group of us here that could raise our hands. We're not going to do that, all right? Because the one person who would lie and not raise their hand, we don't want to embarrass them. (laughs) In every murder, what do we ask? We ask this first question, who did it? Who did the deed? The detectives go in, the police go in, the investigators go in, and they say, we're going to solve this crime. Who did it? In this particular crime, it's easy. We did. All have sinned, come short of the glory of God. We've all done that. Sometimes we get angry at someone we don't even know. All they have to do is just drive (laughs) on the freeway next to us. So what Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. By the way, I just thought the best thing to do is give you scripture on this matter because the scripture is so powerful it just speaks to our heart. Listen to what it says. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one. You know, I don't know about you, but I don't have to speak evil to communicate evil about someone. 
You ever been in one of those conversations where someone said, well, you know, I really don't want to say anything, but, right? And what's the, the conclusion there? Well, I'm just, I just took the shotgun and blew him up. Or you're talking to somebody and all of a sudden they, you, you say, and you say, well, you know, I don't want to, I'm not supposed to say. You just said it. 70% of your communication is nonverbal anyway. When we don't say, we say. It says, so speak evil of no one to be peaceable, gentle, showing humility to all men. For we ourselves were once also foolish. You know, when I read that, I thought, well, we still are. Amen? We still do foolish things along the way. Disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures. He's talking about mankind and what man is in his nature and his character, but what man can be in the glory of God is so different. Living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another, but when the kindness and the love of, of God our Savior toward man appeared. See how, that, see how that feels different? This is how we were, but when the kindness of our God and Savior appeared. Oh, I don't have to be like that anymore, God. Not by works of righteousness that we were saved, but according to his mercy by which he saved us, through the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. The second question an investigator asks is this one. How did they do it? Okay, we want to know who did it. We want to know how they did it. I want to take you over to the board for a minute. I want to show you how all these things happen in our life. Everything starts here. We all have needs in our life, right? We have needs for things like self-respect. We want people to treat us nice. We want people to, to honor us and, and speak kindly of us, not take advantage of us. We use the term, well, you know, that person really used me. And the reason that feels so bad is because our dignity has been hurt. When our needs aren't met in our life, and it can be something very legitimate like a need for love. Anybody here need love? Raise your hand if you need love. I want to see who doesn't raise their hand. This man, fine, thank you, brother, you need some love. This is your wife, right? All right, give him some love. Would you do that? Okay. So when a need isn't met, guess what it does? It brings us to a place of frustration. And frustration is a blocked goal. So when your need isn't met, what you feel inside of you is you feel this frustration. You feel like, I can't get where I'm going. You ever been delayed on the road and they got, you got a detour? You go, I don't want to go on the detour. I don't know where the, de the detours always go the wrong place. Frustration is a detour. When you don't deal with your frustration, guess what pops up on the screen? This thing called anger. Anger. And anger takes on two forms. One is external, and when we, when, it, when we externalize anger, we know we yell, we scream, our face gets red, we maybe we, we you know, double up our fist. When anger goes internal, sometimes it turns into self-pity or depression. Discouragement, defeat. And really it's anger that was born out of a need not being met that became a frustration, and now it's anger in our life. 
When anger isn't really dealt with in a proper way, what it does is it grows into something else. It grows into hate. Hate then becomes bitterness. And Hebrews warns us, beware lest a root of bitterness springs up inside of you. And when it does, many are defiled by it. How did they do it? Really, it all started back here with need. Ask yourself this question. When you say, I'm angry about that, what frustration and what need exists in your life? Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 12. Bless those who persecute you. My immediate response is, I don't want to. Then it says, bless and do not curse. Okay, I won't curse them, but I, but I, wanna, I don't want to bless them. Well, here's the thing. What kind of blessing are we talking about? Let me tell you a great blessing you can give to people who are out of the will of God. It's not a blessing, God, I hope their life goes wonderful. God, I want the blessing I want on them is the blessing of uncomfortableness. Now, I'm not, I'm not kidding here. If a person's not doing what's right with God, you don't want to pray and bless them that everything is wonderful in their life. What you want to pray is there's an uncomfortableness, there is, a, there is a difficulty, there is a struggle, there is a revelation that comes of wrong done. That is a blessing. Because every one of us, you know what we do is it says, if you be without chastisement of the Lord, you be an illegitimate son or daughter. Part of this blessing of God is the correction of God that gets us on the right path for God. But it does say this, repay no one evil for evil. If they've done you evil, that doesn't justify you doing evil back. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And listen to this. This is the most telling. Romans 12, 18. You're going to love this verse. Write this one down because you're living it out every day of your life. Here's what it says. If it is possible, it's not always. It really isn't. As much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. There are some people you will never live peaceably with. You can't fix them. Some of you are fixers, right? You think you, have, you can fix everybody on planet Earth, and you can't, if it is possible. And then it says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Let God do it. God, you know, if you do it, then it's going to probably be sin. Let God do it. Let God do it in his own way. Third thing we ask in a murder is, why did they do it? What's the motive behind it? Plato had an interesting uh, analogy that he used. He said, suppose you have a man who's driving a chariot. And that chariot is being pulled by two horses. One horse is gentle and obedient. One is untamed and rebellious. The name of the one horse is reason. The name of the other horse is passion. Life is a conflict between reason and passion. Usually when we get angry, we move outside of reason or we move outside of the revelation of God and it becomes this hot-headed, passionate action that we take. And we usually turn around later and say, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Because remember, as the scripture we read earlier in Colossians, it only is going to do you harm. It's only going to take you down. Ask yourself this. 
Why am I angry? Anybody ever woke up angry? Didn't even have a reason? I do. Every once in a while I wake up and tell me, go, how you doing? I go, I don't know, I'm mad today. She goes, you're mad today. Why are you mad? I don't know, I'm just feeling mad. Well, is something wrong? No, everything's fine. Wonderful. Love you. Love our kids. Love our place. Love our church. Love our God. Love everything. Why are you angry? I don't know why I'm angry. I'm really not sure sometimes. What I don't want to do is stay there. I don't know why. I'm a complex creature, right? It's kind of like when you have an argument with someone, like let's say your spouse, and, and your spouse, my wife does this. She's the best at it. She says, well, let's just forget it and move on. Oh, no, we're not going to forget it and move on. We're going to enjoy this for a little while. Amen? We got to, we got to, we got to, I mean, we're not, we didn't get in a fight for, for five seconds. It's not a good fight. You know, and then when we're all done, you know, I, I just sing that song to her. You know, sometimes we fight so we can make up. Amen? Okay. Do you know that there's a biological reason why sometimes you get angry? Sometimes it has nothing to do with sin. In fact, Dr. Archibald Hart was studying the, the, the effects of adrenaline and stress on the human being, and he came to the conclusion that the most addictive drug in your system is adrenaline. And when you get addicted to it, and you stay high on adrenaline, it doesn't take long for you to get mad. Have you ever known someone, and maybe you're married to them, where they can get mad like that? You go, well, I don't, that was not that big a deal. Why are you mad? I don't know why I'm mad. It just made me mad. Really, the reality is you choose anger, right? Nothing makes you do something. You choose to go, I, I choose to be angry today. But here's what he found out. Let's suppose right now that we're sitting here, and we're all just kind of having a good time, and all of a sudden this angry gorilla comes running into this room. What's the first thing we do? We trample our brother to get out the back door. It's the first thing we do. Why do we do that? Because we in our head have been taught intellectually that angry gorillas should not be in El Rancho school. And if they are, we're getting out of here. And all of a sudden, the angry gorilla takes his head off, and it's a man in a gorilla suit. Now, what happened in the process of that was there's two gauges inside of us, and here's this one emotional gauge that peeks out like this and says, oh, my heart starts racing, you know, and I'm looking for the exit, and that's my emotional gauge, and it's up here. My intellectual gauge does the same thing. Angry gorillas are bad for people. They're both peaked out. All of a sudden, he takes his head off, and what do we do? Intellectual gauge goes down. That's an idiot, an idiot in a gorilla suit. <laughs> Emotional gauge does this, stays up here. Hart said a stimulus like that can stay, keep your adrenaline pumping for up to 48 hours before it goes down, provided you have no other stimulus, like the highway. Okay, now watch this. Watch this. The gauge is up here. The gorillas just come in, heads off, starts to go down. You go out there to get in your car. You get on the highway. The first thing somebody does is cut you off. I don't have to go from here to here to peak out my adrenaline. All I have to do is go from here to here. In other words, I can get mad really quick, really easy. And what happens is it feels good and it's addictive and we like to get stuck there. And it's biological, but it becomes spiritual. Once you start to realize it, what he did was he found out. Do you remember the old mood rings? 
Okay, and everybody thought it really indicated that, you know, somebody loved you. No, you said the name, you love them. Doesn't mean they love you. The body temperature from adrenaline heated up your hand, it turned colors, and you go, they love me. What he did was he developed a patch you could put on your wrist. It was basically a mood ring patch. And you could watch that, and you could tell your body temperature goes up before you even know you're angry. Your adrenaline, because the adrenaline rush in your system. So sometimes it's biological. Sometimes it's emotional. Just life is out of balance. You've pulled everything too hard. And you don't have anything left to give. And you snap because you just are out of gas emotionally. And you have to recharge yourself emotionally. People say, well, I, I need to go on a vacation. Vacations sometimes are more taxing than they are beneficial. Most people go to the same place, do the same thing on every vacation they ever go on. And when they come back and want to brag about their vacation, they say, isn't that where you go every year? And now all your joy is gone because you wanted to tell them about this wonderful adventure you went on, but you've done it for 15 years. To recharge yourself emotionally, you have to change your routine. But spiritually, spiritually also, we're angry because there is the prince of the power of the air. There is Satan himself. He wants to rob you of joy. And if he can take the joy out of your life, what kind of witness are you to your friends, to your family? If he can take the joy out of your life, you don't exemplify the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is joy and righteousness and the Holy Spirit. And when you take joy out of your life, you've removed one-third of the kingdom of God from your very sphere of living. And you have to recognize sometimes this is biological, sometimes I'm not sure, sometimes it's emotional, but ultimately it will be a spiritual problem in your life. The key is to have a transformed temperament, a transformation that starts with a new birth, but is constantly under the control of the Holy Spirit. That's why it says in Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. I'm either spiritual or I'm not. I'm not kind of half and half. Let me give you some life applications. Here's the first one. Refuse to be a victim. A victim to your circumstances. A victim that says, I, you made me mad. No, you chose to be mad and you chose to not yield to the Spirit of God. Just admit it and move on. But don't be a victim. Also remember that love triumphs over pain. You've got pain from anger? Well, love will override it every time. Just love. Love. And I will say, if there's some people that have made you mad, you're probably not ready to jump back in the circle of friendship, and you may never be able to. But it doesn't mean you want evil for them. See the difference? It doesn't mean you want bad for them. It just means it's not safe. It's interesting, Paul, when he was writing in his, one of his letters, he said this. He said, beware, beware of Alexander the coppersmith. I don't even know who the guy was. But here's how he, he finishes that line. For he has done me much harm. 
Can you imagine a traveling companion with the Apostle Paul? He hurt Paul so deeply that he issued a warning to all the churches, beware of this guy. This guy is toxic. Demas is another one. He said, Demas has loved the present world and has left me. No one's here with me but Luke alone. Warnings are issued, but love will always triumph over pain. And then the other thing, focus on the future. Focus on the future. Keep your eye on where you're going and not what's going on in your world. Keep your eye on where you're going and not what's going on in your world. Trust God. Let God direct your future. You see, all of these things, they're chains that bind us. And we've got to break the chains in our life, amen? And you say, well, it's just a small chain. It's a chain. It could be someone you work with. It could be your spouse. It could be your child. But the chain has to be broken. Let's stand together, and we're going to... The band is going to play this song, Break Every Chain, and as they play it and as we, we want to invite you just to, just to say, God, I just want to, I want to release the chain. I want to give it up, God. The thing that's in my life, I want to give it up. I want to turn it over to you, God. I don't want to hold it anymore. You might want to write it on one of those prayer cards and come and put it on the cross today. You may want to just come up here and just say, God, I just want to come to the cross and pray. But we need freedom in our life to live our life in the joy of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's sing this song together. Sacrifice. 
God has just kind of ministered to you right now. As the Holy Spirit speaks and He brings a name, He maybe brings a face to your memory, would you just turn that over to the cross? God, I need victory. God, I need power. God, I need authority. God, I need wisdom. God, I need beyond all else, I need love. You are the church. You are the redemptive answer to the world's problems through Jesus Christ. Be the church in all of her glory, in all of her authority, in all of her power. Minister grace unto grace, love unto love. Never religion, but always love. Never anger, but always love. Always giving grace that you might receive grace. Let's sing this chorus one more time. 